0: This evening we're going to consider waiting on the Lord. Psalm 27. We started with Psalm 27 last week. and We looked at the first six verses. And this week, today, now, we're going to look at the rest of the psalm. Psalm 27, verses 7 through to 14. So turn to Psalm 27. Let's have a bit of a recap before we look at those verses. In verse 1 of Psalm 27, King David speaks of God being his light and salvation and strength. He says that he shall not be afraid of his enemies, even if they surround him. And the reason for that is because the Lord hides him in his pavilion, in his tabernacle, and sets him up upon a rock. This all points to the relationship that all who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ have with God. They are safe and secure forevermore in him. He is their light, he is their salvation, he is their strength and their rock. He is their everything. (coughs) I trust if you're a Christian you would wholeheartedly agree with that, that Jesus is your everything. Jesus has triumphed over sin, Satan and death on the behalf of his redeemed and he has done so in life, in death and with his resurrection from the dead. He, he has now been highly exalted and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God in the most holy place of the tabernacle, the tabernacle that is not made with hands where he ever liveth to make intercession for his people, for all those who come to God through him. None of them shall perish, and he gives them everlasting life. I could have gone on and on there. It's just wonderful to think what it means to belong to Jesus. It's just so wonderful. And we do well to keep going over those glorious truths, because we all forget and I keep reading the same wonderful promises uh, in the Bible for good reason, and I trust we all do i know I know i 'm very aware that I often talk about us having every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, and the reason for that is because we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, and it 's just wonderful uh, you 'll find that in What is it? I should know the verses. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 or something like that. Beautiful, wonderful truths. Dear Christian, when you consider all those things, perhaps you can see why it is that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loved you. And he demonstrated that love at the cross. Indeed, God demonstrates his love to you in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you therefore you of all people in the world ought to be able to shoot from the heart and say of whom shall I be afraid though an host should encamp against me my heart shall not fear as we look at the remainder of Psalm 27 verse 7 through to the end of the chapter this evening the tone is somewhat different with David now crying out to the Lord for mercy. But he does so in faith, as one who is waiting on the Lord. As will be seen, there is a very obvious application to the Lord Jesus Christ, who cried out to the Lord, but also there is an application to all who are hidden in him, in Christ. So let's have a look at the psalm. Psalm 27, I'm going to read from verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me, and answer me. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not. Neither forsake me, O God, of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. As well as praying silently, there are times for crying out aloud to the Lord. And we see such a time with David here in verse 7. Look at what he said there. Uh, Look what it says in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. David was crying out to the Lord to have mercy on him. That is, to have pity and to show favour towards him. The very fact that he cried out aloud speaks of the earnestness of his prayer. He really did mean it when he was crying out for mercy. You probably don't need me to tell you that God can hear your prayers even when they're silent prayers. God can hear them when they remain in your heart. He is perfectly able to read your heart and the things that are weighing heavily upon you. For example, a split-second silent prayer can be very effective, as can be seen in Nehemiah. I love this example. I'm going to turn to Nehemiah. I've got my bookmark in it, Nehemiah chapter 1, I haven't got my bookmark, anyway Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 1 to 6, listen out for Nehemiah praying and try and figure out how long he he would have been praying for, it's when he was speaking to the king, anyway I'll read from verse 1 through to verse 6. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Kisla in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity that are in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. That's not the prayer I'm talking about, by the way. And said... I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned, against thee, both I and my father's house. I'm going to drop down, I'm, I'm reading the, the, the wrong one actually, it's, I'm going to go to chapter 2, sorry about that. Verse 1, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. This is it. Nehemiah, he's the cupbearer to the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So the king's just asked Nehemiah a simple question there. What do you want? And then in verse four, so I prayed to the God of heaven and I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. So you see there, he, the king knew that Nehemiah, his cupbearer, wanted something. He was going to ask something. What is it you want? And Nehemiah prays, and then he asked the king if he can go to Jerusalem to rebuild the Jerusalem. The walls that were burnt down. How long do you think he prayed for there? How long do you think he kept the king waiting for an answer? A split second I would guess. And I don't imagine that the king heard him praying either. It was one of those moments where you just. You can pray an awful lot in a split second. And it can be a lot more meaningful. Than a lengthy prayer where you, you really are. Well, I don't know. It it can be the same, but it can be a lot more effective than a long prayer. And that most certainly was an effective prayer, because when you read on, you read that the king granted Nehemiah permission to go off to Judah, to Jerusalem, to rebuild the city, and the king even gave instructions to the governors of the various provinces that Nehemiah would pass through to render him assistance. Everything was falling into place and you see that God's hand was in on that. But that was a split second silent prayer I would suggest to you. Often are the times when I have prayed silently to God and I can testify that the Lord has made it abundantly clear that he has heard my silent cries, even above the din of a noisy classroom where I, as a supply teacher, had lost control of the students and they were running riot. Uh, that was a long time ago and I think I'm still I'm, a, I'm still a nervous wreck from that experience. I was at my wit's end And so I turned my back to the class. Silently I cried out to the Lord to help me. Straight after that split second silent prayer, the children calmed down. So much so that there were no more fights during that lesson and no more objects were thrown out of the windows. I can't claim that my silent cries to the Lord have always been answered in such an immediate and obvious way but that one certainly was and there have been other times as well where i prayed silently split second prayers and, and no doubt others in here have, have done exactly the same. For example when I've been doing open air preaching I can remember someone nose to nose with me in London when I was preaching in the open air it was literally, I, I had some idea how George Whitfield may have felt when he was preaching in the open air in the field. And um, people were in the treetops and, and um, doing various things that I won't mention now. But um, I can remember in a shopping high street, people hanging out the windows of one of the shops shouting at me. I can remember someone nose to nose with me saying that most the foulest things to me, to try and wind me up. And all I would do was just pray silently. And on that particular occasion, a police officer came along and as good as told that guy to clear off. And there have been times when I've been a voice for the unborn children in the public square and people, wicked people, have been angry and hostile and aggressive towards me and others and I can see one of the folk in here now who can testify to the same thing or more than one there's a good few in here that have been a, a voice for the unborn and the response of some people can be quite frightening if you allow it to be aggression wickedness And that is a time for silent prayer. And those are the prayers amongst other prayers, but they are prayers that God will hear and he will answer for his glory. But there is also a time for giving voice to your prayer as David did in our psalm here in Psalm 27. If you were to creep up on me when I'm out with my dog in the morning, you may well hear me praying. We even see David's greatest son, the Lord Jesus Christ, crying out to God when he was crucified, saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus cried again with a loud voice when he yielded up the ghost. Christians sometimes pray out loud when they're on their own in order not to be distracted. It helps you to focus on God And that was being explained to me the other week. We use all our senses, or at least more of our senses, when we're praying out loud. And we're more focused on what we're doing. There is a a good, there's a valid reason for praying out loud, even when you're on your own. However, unlike the Pharisees who loved to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. When a Christian prays out loud in prayer, in prayer meetings, and the others who are present, they add there are men at the end of those prayers. The person who is praying in those public gatherings is still praying to God, or at least they ought to be. That's not always the case, I know. Sometimes they do tend to pray horizontally, but generally speaking, we pray vertically in a prayer meeting, and it's of mutual benefit and people at their men, So there is most certainly a time for vocal prayer, whether you're on your own or with a group. It's interesting to note that David was crying out to God for mercy, even though he was a man of God. When you think about it, it is a tremendous privilege as a Christian to be able to cry out in weakness for mercy to the Lord who is the strength of your life and to have every expectation that he will hear your cry. Crying out for mercy is most certainly not just something that a repentant sinner does when he becomes a Christian. I like what Spurgeon said, Mercy is the hope of sinners and the refuge of saints. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. David seeks the Lord's face. In verse 8, rather. When thou said, Seek ye my face, my heart, said unto me, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Who in the world would even think to seek the Lord's face? Other than a Christian. No one. I can't imagine why anyone else in the world would think to seek the Lord's face. And David supplies the answer to that. Who would seek the Lord's face? He supplies that in Psalm 24. just have to go back a page in my Bible here. And let me just see now. I can read from verse 3 to 6 in Psalm 24. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that have clean hands and a pure heart who have not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. So the people who seek the face of God, they know God as their saviour. And we've we've already seen this in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. They are people who have clean hands and a pure heart. Uh, They've been made clean by the Lord Jesus Christ because they are in him and he has made them fit to enter into the presence of God by his finished work, obedience in life and in death at the cross. These are the people that seek the face of God. No one else is interested in doing that. People who are washed in the blood of Jesus and clothed in his righteousness. As to what it is to seek the Lord's face, quite simply, it is to come before the God of your salvation in prayer, with thanksgiving in your heart, and to make your requests and your petitions known to him, and this is precisely what can be seen from verse 9 to the end of this psalm. Looking at verse 9 again. Hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. In verse 9 David said, hide not thy face from me. Even though in the previous verse, God had said, seek ye my face. Do you see that there? Verse 8, when thou said, "It's seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. And then in verse 9, hide not thy face from me. Also David prayed that the Lord would not leave him nor forsake him, despite the promise of God elsewhere, that he will never leave those uh, whom he have redeemed with his own blood, neither will he forsake them. But still, David was asking and praying that God would not leave him, nor forsake him. David knew that God would never leave him, that God would never forsake him. Otherwise, why else would he have ended verse 9 with the words, O God of my salvation? When you look at verse 9 and think about it, it is only the person for whom God is his salvation who would ever feel as if God was hiding his face from him. Do you get other people who are not Christians who would, um, who would actually say that? hide not thy face far from me. You wouldn't, would you? Just as in verse 8, you wouldn't get someone who's not a Christian saying, uh, unto thee, uh, thy face, Lord, will I seek. It's a Christian, the person who has a, a relationship with God, a saving relationship. He seeks God's face. And it is that same person, the Christian, born again Christian, who says, hide not thy face far from me, although the Lord has said, seek ye my face. There's no contradiction here. These are the experiences that we go through as Christians. I've been there many times where it's as if, it's as if God is hiding his face from me, although he says, seek ye my face. It's as if that communion with God all but evaporates in times of sin. So it's only the man or woman with a genuine saving faith in Jesus who confesses his sins and this is what we've, we're seeing here in verse 9. Hide not thy face far from me. This is David. He's going, he's confessing his sins. And the good news is that the apostle John said in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The apostle speaking to the church there. <coughs> And that sweet communion with God is restored. Let's have a look at verse 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. In this verse there is confirmation that far from imagining that the Lord would forsake him forevermore, David had every confidence that the God of his salvation would bear him as if on eagles' wings even if his nearest and dearest forsake him. That, dear Christian, is something worth meditating on. Not your faithfulness to God, but God's faithfulness to you. The God of your salvation, whom you were once at enmity with, his faithfulness to you. The God who drew you with loving kindness to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God who sent his son into the world to lay down his life for your sins. He is a faithful God. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, it is written that there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I don't know about you, but for me, that friend is the God of my salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Let's have a look at verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. In verse 11, David prays that prayer, a plain path is one that is level and is not beset with rocks that may cause you to stumble and to be uh, consumed by your enemies, destroyed by your enemies. David's plea was for the all-knowing God to direct his path so that he would not fall prey to his enemies, including sin. The biggest enemy of all, sin. As for you, dear Christian, you do well to prayerfully read the Bible, which maps out God's perfect way. It maps out the plain path. Read the Bible and be taught by the Holy Spirit, be led by your good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Be led by him in the paths of righteousness, lest you stumble into sin, to the delight of a watching world and to the dishonour of the God of your salvation. Verse 12. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, And such as breathe out cruelty. In verse 12, David's prayer to God was for him not to be delivered over to the will of his enemies. In Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 10, it is written that the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. They have no mercy. Wicked people with wicked hearts, they have no mercy. The enemies of God do the lust of their father, the devil. As such, they have no mercy, no compassion, and David was well aware of that. For example, on one occasion when he sinned, he was given a choice of three things, one of which was to flee three months before his enemies. In response to that, David said to the prophet Gad, I am in a, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. So there you have it in verse 12. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. Like their father, the devil, wicked men they lie they bear false witness and that is precisely what happened when the Lord Jesus Christ who will come again in judgment and he will judge the living and the dead but when he was in the world he was brought before an assembly of the wicked that tried him in a kangaroo court situation on the night of his arrest Lies were presented to that kangaroo court by false accusers, liars. Again, their father is the devil and he is a liar, the father of lies. Dear Christian, although you are no longer of the world, you are nevertheless still in the world. It is a world that is largely populated by people who are the enemies of God. They are vehemently and often violently opposed to Jesus and to his gospel. One of the ways that they might attack you is to slander you, to say all manner of evil things against you falsely as they did to the Lord Jesus Christ. With that in mind, it ought not surprise you to learn that your great heavenly father and your great heavenly high priest are keeping you from the evil your heavenly high priest he prays to the father to keep you from the evil that evil must surely refer to the unbelieving world to the devil who is the prince of this world the liar uh, the liar and father of lies also there is your own sinful flesh with all that in mind you do well to pray deliver me from the evil and thy will be done just as Jesus taught his disciples to do verse 13 I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living the first words there you'll see that they're in italics and that tells us that they're not in the original text they've been added to complete the sense of the verse Jewish interpreters offer various other words to complete the sense. I've looked at them and really they all amount to the same thing as we have here. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We see in that verse that David had a dread of some evil happening had it not been for his faith in the goodness of God I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, he would have fainted if he had not believed to see the goodness of the Lord and so do we have a faith that is a a, a genuine faith, an active faith can we say the same as David there I had fainted Whatever the situation, I've given you a couple of situations in my own life tonight. I had fainted, lest I had not believed in the goodness of the Lord. And you're trusting in God. And it's not all about you, it's a God-given faith that you have. A faith in action. The preceding verses give some very good reasons why David would have fainted had he not believed in the goodness of the Lord for one thing there were his enemies who surrounded him in verse 6 however with a God-given faith he was able to say I will sing yea I will sing praises unto the Lord and as we've also seen there were those times when David felt as if the Lord had withdrawn and hidden his face from him Sin and Satan can do that to a believer but faith tells him otherwise and so it is that David said at the end of verse 9, O God of my salvation. And we considered those false witnesses in verse 12, ordinarily a man might despair when lies are said about him but when lies are spoken about someone because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a time to rejoice And to be exceeding glad. Not a time to despair. Or a time to faint. Last of all we come to verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait I say on the Lord. In this verse David is speaking to his own soul. As he did in Psalm 103 verse 1. When he said... Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me, bless his holy name. David's speaking to himself in Psalm 103, and this is precisely what he's doing in verse 14. Even though David was talking to himself, I feel sure that he wouldn't mind if we see how we might benefit from what he said to himself. In verse 14, Waiting on the Lord, it carries the meaning of patiently waiting for the Lord. Confidently expecting him and gladly serving him in the meantime. David says to himself, be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Whilst you are waiting on the Lord to deliver you from your enemies, again the biggest enemy of all sin, Whilst you're waiting, you do well to say to yourself, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. If you're a Christian, you need a tremendous amount of courage when you consider the world that you live in that is violently opposed to the only true God and to all who confess him and live born-again lives for his glory. If you're hiding your light under a bushel... There's nothing really to, 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 to fear. It's when you are living for Jesus. You say, "Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart." If you are a Christian, you also need much courage to repel the fiery darts of your adversary, the devil, who, as a roaring lion walks around seeking whom he may devour. Who do you think the devil is seeking to devour? All those people who are doing his bidding in the world? Or the Christian? Christian. I would have thought the Christian, yeah. And not least of all, you need courage to mortify the deeds of your sinful flesh. In many verses of the Bible it is written, be of good courage. To be of good courage means to be strong. Even though you are weak, Christ is strong. He is the mighty God and his strength is made perfect in your weakness. If you want an example of that divine strength, just read about Stephen in Acts of the Apostles and his powerful preaching to a hostile Jewish audience. I'll just read the last seven verses of Acts chapter 7. But he, that's Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. This is Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God. Stephen saw him standing. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That courage, that strength to endure suffering and even death reached him from God. God, who shall strengthen the heart of his loved ones, even in times of adversity and even when they're being martyred for the name of Jesus. As if to emphasise what he is saying, David finishes Psalm 27 by repeating himself (coughs) and saying, wait I say on the Lord and what a most appropriate way of signing off that is. Having started the psalm with the words in verse 1 there, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is thy strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then drop down to verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Dear Christian, is this the kind of life that you are living? One in which by faith you seek the face of your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, as you joyfully do his good pleasure and as you face whatever trials befall you in and you do so in his strength. And in the meantime, are you looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who loved you and who gave himself for you at the cross where he carried away your sins. Amen.